0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Spa Strong Podcast. I'm Royal. I'm Melissa. And we have a super cool guest with us today.
1: Yes, we're so excited for this guest. But of course, if you are loving the Spa Strong Podcast, subscribe, leave a review so that we can reach more estheticians and help empower them through boundaries, balance, health, and safety. So today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Brittany Rattel. Brittany is a licensed attorney for creative entrepreneurs. She is licensed in Idaho and Utah but she serves modern business owners all over the country. She's also a mama of four and likes to sing uncomfortably loud from her minivan at intersections. Brittany, thank you so much for being thank here you. with us today. <laughs> You're welcome, guys. See, that, that's what I wanted.
2: I wanted to bring a smile to your face because don't we all just need you know a little bit of
1: fun and frivolity right now? Yes, yes we do. 100%. Yes, we do. Oh, my gosh. Seriously. We need to laugh more right now. <laughs> and I am. I
2: am all about that. I, I, I usually tell people that like, I'm, I'm probably one of the funnest attorneys you've ever met. I understand that that's probably a, a tallest pygmy theory. Like I don't probably have to be that fun to be the funnest attorney that people have <laughs> met, but you know, it is a tall order, but I really try to make, you know, make myself live up to that.
1: I mean, I I can tell that you're definitely the funnest attorney I've ever met. That is for for sure. And you're wearing like hot pink and turquoise and everything. I'm like, okay, we need more attorneys like this because the last attorneys that I worked with, it was like, mm, like, uh, yeah, someone yeah. that your dad
2: knew, you know, with a fish tank and like leather bound books. And yes. yeah, who, who was
1: like, wait, what are you doing on the Instagram? Yeah, it yeah, turns out not so helpful. <laughs> right, right. Absolutely. Um, okay, so you're a fun, creative attorney. How did you? Tr- how did this happen? How did this happen? Man, I mean, I, I I went to law school
2: because um, I, I wanted to, I you know, got kind of good advice and I, I actually wasn't sure what I was going to do in law school. I thought maybe I'd help women and children. I was drawn to a lot of nonprofit and advocacy work, um, but I graduated as I had my first baby and I knew, all I knew was what I didn't want to do, of things that i had crossed off on like the little career list that they'd passed around. And I didn't want to go full-time at a firm and just work crazy hours and hire a bunch of nannies, um, that this didn't resonate with me. Um, and so I was like, well, I'll, I'll do solo and I'll do some things I can do on my own. So I started in different practice areas. I did family law, estate planning for a couple of years on my own as I had my babies. I had four kids in six years. So, um, you know, things escalated quickly, <laughs> is all I have to say, um, with my husband and I. But, um, but then I, as I was having my last baby, um, you know, I kept on doing these one off projects for friends, you know, this is kind of in the era of the rise of the mommy blogger. And so I would have friends who kind of started on blogspot or started with little Etsy shops or doing stuff at the farmer's market. And then they were suddenly getting their first real contract or they were, you know, trying to hire a business partner or, Hey, I'm actually making some money now. What, you know, what am I supposed to be doing? How do I set up a business? How do I make this legit and protect myself? And as I started to do more and more of that work, I realized, actually, this is exactly what I want to do. And this is exactly who I want to serve. Um, I found that it was a really underserved market. Most of my clients are women, um, women business owners, and a lot of them are in either service professionals, or they kind of have lifestyle product brands, um, a lot of them with with a big online presence. And they wanted some help to get these businesses going, because the barriers of entry of starting a lot of these businesses have gone down so much, because you don't have to have you know, a warehouse and a staff and you don't have to go to a bank with a business plan, which is awesome. The only caveat with that is that sometimes some of these steps don't get taken care of because they don't have to be, you know, there is no one on Shopify saying, Hey, by the way, did you get your legal doc set up? Have you done your LLC? Like no one, no one is coming to check on you. That all kind of has to be self-starter. And so, um, as I've done more in the space, I've just realized how awesome it is to help women, you know, achieve their dreams in a business.
1: That's awesome. I love it. Um being one of those people who when I started my business, I was like, I just bought cute business cards. Let's open. <laughs> <laughs> Which it's the really, really fun part. The business
2: cards, getting the branding, like you go, I'm gonna go do like a photo shoot and get my headshots, like totally. And that's the thing. Like, that's the the fun part of a business. And there has to be some forward momentum. So I always mm-hmm. say to my clients, like I am not one of those people who's going to shame you or make you feel bad about what you did and didn't do. Cause it's, we're all about looking ahead and moving right. forward. Um, but there, there comes a point when like you want to match, that kind of forward momentum and energy and you know now you've invested some time and money into this branding in this business so let's make sure that we've got the foundation to support it that your business can pivot that you can change from maybe just doing in-person services to building other stuff because maybe you want to do events someday or you want to have an online course or want to have your own product or be an affiliate or you know lots of other doors to open up and we want to make sure you're you're set up for all of that
1: yeah exactly you know. um so I have a lot of questions. I'll be honest.
0: Um,
1: okay, bring them, bring bring them all. So first of all, um, let's talk about actually registering your business and setting up as um, an LLC, or you know, there, there's also sole proprietorship out yeah. there. There's also yeah. you know, and it can sole proprietorship is so simple. And so yeah. that is, that, that was the draw that I had that's, when I first Yeah, that's started. like the default. You know, I explain mm-hmm. to people like
2: sole proprietorship is like Times New Roman. So when you open up a Word document, it's like the default. So if you don't do anything, you're a sole proprietorship. Mm-hmm. That's just what you are. Um, and I can understand that like, it's easy. It's usually cheap. Like in some areas you don't have to file anything. In some areas it's a very nominal fee. Um. The disadvantage with having a sole prop is that it doesn't actually give you any legal protection. So um, an LLC sets up like a, uh, it's it's like a compartment on the Titanic. You know how in like they have like all the little flooded compartments and they would all be contained. If you set up an LLC, it sets up a compartment that's just around your business, which means... If your business hits an iceberg and it starts to flood in there that sucks but luckily it only hurts that little compartment all the other compartments which may be other businesses other llc's or which may be your personal assets your home your 401k what you own with a spouse you know your savings your car all of that is off the table you know that cannot be flooded it can't be touched all we lose is that compartment and so um, that's what makes a limited liability company so attractive and kind of the number one choice of most small business owners is that it's usually, uh, it gives you that protection. It's usually fairly flexible. It's usually fairly reasonable of, um, costs, um, except for if you're in California. <laughs> yeah. <Yes>. Where <laughs> yes. So I've, I've got some major beef with whoever runs your secretary of commerce division, because I think it's ridiculous because your guys' fees are three or four times what they are pretty much anywhere else in the country to mm-hmm. set up an LLC. Um. But it also allows you, you can even be taxed um, as an S, you can be taxed and have an S-corp election. And so it kind of allows you to get from like zero to actually wide a ways down your business and have all those tax advantages and you still get to stay as an LLC. So, and that's really attractive to a lot of people. Um, there are in fact, some major companies that you'd be familiar with that are still LLCs. If you check their footer on their website, you'd be surprised. So not, you know, everyone thinks that like, Oh, the corp, the the C corp is, you know, is is cool. And if you're going to have outside investment, they're probably going to require that you switch to a C corp. But outside of that, most people just don't need it.
1: Okay. okay. Yeah, and that was always my understanding that unless I was going to have investors, there's no reason to ever switch from an LLC. Yeah. Okay. Does
0: does having a does buying a vehicle under your LLC does that put that vehicle in that little compartment as well?
2: Um, if it's gonna be if you're gonna say that like it's owned by the business. Yes So, um, if you are gonna say that like it's only partially or say like you're only deducting part of the value of the vehicle or the mileage Then potentially not so that may be a kind of a hybrid accounting question So okay. I am I'm not a CPA I'm not an accountant and so I'd always defer to the accountant on the ground for the last call there um, but that is something that you, you might have a look because it's kind of like well the IRS is probably going to say, "Well, you can't have it both ways. Either this is for part of your business or it's not. You know, if you're deducting it as a business expense, then it's going to be considered a business asset." So.
1: You know, okay. 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 Yeah.
0: Hey, you guys. We wanted to take a quick break and let you know about the badass of the week.
1: Yes, our badass this week is Justina Lasacier. Justina is a licensed esthetician at Little House of Healing in New York, and she's also an aesthetics instructor. During quarantine, Justina changed her approach to Instagram and Facebook which led to four new clients on her first day back at the spa, all of whom found her on social media and all of whom bought retail product, pre-booked their next appointment, and said that they'd leave her a five-star review on Google. Congratulations, Justina. We are so happy for and proud of what you have been able to accomplish during quarantine and how you used that time to strengthen your approach and set yourself up for success at reopen. If you would like to be featured as our baddest of the week, then please send us a DM on Instagram or send us an email. We would love to hear about your successes and be able to celebrate you here on the Spa Strong podcast. Um, yeah, when I, when I, so uh, I opened my spa in Salt Lake, um, and I was just sole proprietorship. And then I started dating a guy who was like, you, he owned a business. He's like, you are doing this messy. You've got to clean all this shit up. So I, uh, I actually worked with, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the women's business center in downtown mm-hmm. Salt Lake. Yeah. So I love them. They're fantastic. Totally free resource. Um, they really helped me with that. And then, uh, years later when we started spa strong here in Los Angeles, and uh set it up as an LLC. I was absolutely floored by how much money we had to pay. And I went on this I hate California rant for like days and days and days. And- I know, I guess it's 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 the beach tax or whatever it is. Like, <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's what happens when you live
2: in New England, California. But yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I always advise like trying to look out to find like a women's business center or a score program or like an SBA because there's a lot of those kind of small business development centers that can help walk people through the steps. But honestly, setting up your LLC is not that hard most people can do it on their own like yes do I do this as a service for people who know themselves and are like look I am never going to do this Brittany I'm going to mess it up just handle it and I'm happy to take their money (laughs) but but for a lot of people it's really not that hard it's just answering some questions um so and I will say as a little asterisk as a tip for that you know I'm sure a lot of your clients probably have a physical business presence because they do have a spa they have you know a place where they are okay getting business mail and listing that um If, however, you're not doing that, if you're working like a home base or more virtual business um, and you don't want to have that information publicly listed, set up a registered agent and or a virtual mailbox before you register for your LLC, because it's going to ask for that contact information. And once you list that publicly with your LLC, it's going to be publicly listed. You're going to get business spam and also maybe creepers. So,
1: so can you do a PO box or does it have to be a PO
2: box can do, can work for the business address, but you're still going to have to have a registered agent. Mm -hmm. The registered agent is that person you've seen in movies. Who's like, you've been served. It's that person who can receive service of like litigation Gosh. and the law says it has to be an actual human that an actual address, it cannot be a PO box. So,
1: mm. but there
2: are services that do that commercially. They're literally called registered agent services. They're usually 60 bucks a year. I know it's a pain to have to pay that, but if you get to have your anonymity, then it's probably worth it. So,
1: well, all things I wish we had known.
0: <laughs> is it, it's not too late, is it? Or is it? Um,
1: I mean, we already have it set up. You know, for, this but you address. could always amend it. your filing if you want. So, okay. yeah.
0: We're moving. It's just,
2: so. yeah, it, yeah. It's just nice. I've had, I have a couple of virtual mailboxes and when I've gone to like, gone and get my mail and they also will like scan it for you, which is nice. And that way they'll just forward things. And they're like, you can't believe how many people we've had showed up angry of like, who is this person? Where is it? They're like an angry customer. And they think this is the business because this is the address listed. And it's like, you know, a UPS store or like an anytime mailbox store. And you're like, think about if that was your house. If someone yeah. was coming to your house, some disgruntled customer. So,
1: okay. That's a really, yeah, really good point. Yeah. Okay. Virtual mailbox.
0: Cause, yeah. Cause we're moving to Vegas hopefully by the end the, of the year. The end of the year.
2: Yeah. And so, so maybe think about when you move to Vegas, just get ones that are, you know, and they'll, they have them everywhere in the U S you just type in where you're located. If you want, that's kind of like a, an address that looks close to you. And, um, that's also the address you can put in your email that you send out, you know, your email marketing, mm-hmm. you have to have an address on there. Right. Use your virtual mailbox. Yeah.
1: That is awesome. I love that. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Virtual mailbox. Fantastic. Okay. So you set up your business, you have your LLC, Um, then of course you need to get your like local business license. Um, Mm -hmm. and then do you, do you ever talk about like sales and use licenses? Um, yes. So, I mean,
2: yeah, those are typically done at the state level. And so Mm -hmm. it depends on which state you're in, you know, of what their, um, what the requirements are going to be. But if you're obviously, if you're selling any kind of physical product, you're going to need to collect sales tax. And so that's something, and in some States now it even is a a little bit, getting a little bit hybrid in terms of what kind of service you also sometimes have to collect sales tax. So with that, I say, check up on your, you know, your sales tax commission website of whatever state and or, um, glass jar is a really good online website. Um, they have, they have like some apps and software, but they have a lot of up-to-date information on like, what is the status of sales tax? In different states and in the industry of where you live. So that's really helpful. So um yeah, I actually just helped a local beauty customer here where I live um, go through all of this. And it was a pain because like they had to mail it to us and then it got sent to a different address right. and like they, they won't do it online. Like that's, that's, that's the pain part of this is because these, these are small government services and they're not tech savvy and they're mm-hmm. doing old school, you know, mail and fax is usually the only way you can get this. Um, but just make sure you have that Um, on up and up and ready to go. And so that you're starting to collect tax and you're not going to be surprised, you know, by the tax statement. So,
1: okay. Awesome. 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 Okay. So the business is set up. Let's talk about interacting with clients, like having intake and consent forms and making sure that not only you're protected, but your business is protected. You're protecting your clients, all of that important stuff.
2: Yeah, you just want to have really clear expectations uh, and boundaries about the relationship. So it's not about that you don't trust people. In fact, if you do trust people and you value these relationships, all the more reason to have things in writing. Um, I will say this is doubly or triply true if you are working with friends, if you are working with family, um, if you're doing any, even any kind of trades, sometimes people will be like, oh, they're going to take pictures for me or they're going to do this and I'm going to help them the website. That's awesome. Just have something at least simple in writing to be able to handle that, you know, Um, because a lot of times with those deals, both people think that like, they're the ones giving the, getting the better deal. Like, Hey, I'm really going all out. And I'm, you know, I'm being nice one here. And if both people feel that way and they're not understanding the real value of their services, that's what leads to um, problems down the road. So, Um, and then, yeah, with client intake, it's um, it's important to clarify, just what are the services that they're going to be receiving. Um, make sure that there's some disclaimer there, especially depending on the kind of technology that you're using and making sure what are the claims of what it can do and what are the things that you're not responsible for, you know that you um, and so a lot of that is sometimes specific. there's some specific language um, to whatever it is that the kind of treatment that you're doing. Um, and then make sure you have good information about that if you are going to be taking pictures of your client and using those, you need a release. Hey, okay? mm-hmm. don't be taking pictures of your clients, especially like if you're a lash girl and they don't realize you're like creepy taking picture while their eyes are closed. Like that's, it's not okay to be sharing pictures. Even if you think like you can't identify them, I, w- I would still ask. It's really, really best practice to ask, get permission. In fact, if they can just like check a box, even on that intake form of like, yeah, I give my consent to share my picture or my name and a testimonial or something else. Um, then you've really clarified, how that's going
1: to go. Yeah. I actually had a, um, I had a person who lived in a completely different state. I don't know how she found my Instagram, you know, when I had my spot Instagram and she commented on a picture of somebody's eyes, like just their eyes tagged. Hey, look at you. I didn't know you got your lashes done. And it was my client. And she was like, Oh, Yeah, I do. How did you recognize me? But literally just from the picture of the person just from the eyes, she must be like some soul searcher, you know, she's just out staring in people's eyes. I don't know, (laughs) but it made me very, very um, wary because, and I always made sure that I had my client sign, a, um, like a photography release and everything like that. But I was like, oh my gosh, can you imagine if I had just tried to like ninja cam that while her eyes were closed or something? And then she's like, wait, yeah, that is me. Why am I, I never gave my permission to be on your Instagram.
2: Yeah, to be used for your marketing mm-hmm. like that. I'm not okay with that. So, and obviously, you know, your the relationship and the client relationship is what's most important here. And yeah. so there's usually a way that you can still good, good, have good marketing and content. If that's part of your, of your outreach and how you, you know, establish your brand and whatnot and connect with your audience. Um, but you need to make sure you're doing it above board, you know, and, mm-hmm. and you're not sacrificing what your clients want. Cause yeah, some people are, are weird about that and they just don't want their picture on that. And you should completely respect that and have a, and have some sort of system for making sure you're collecting consent and then you're recording that. Yeah. yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, if you are looking for intake forms that you're needing a template or something like that, we do have those available on, our website. We'll link that in the episode notes, but these are, these are a template. And so you can look at them. You can base your own forms off of them. And then of course, get them looked at by a local attorney, check with your state regulations, make sure those are good. Um, so if somebody were wanting to do that, do, I mean, as far as, you know, do most attorneys do like a consultation, like a 30 minute or a 60 minute or something like that?
2: Yeah. A lot of them will do like, I do like a free 15 minute chat with people just to talk about their businesses. And normally that's a little bit of like me getting to know me, them getting to know them and they'll, a couple questions, you Mm -hmm. know, and then if they want if they have other questions outside of that scope, then I let them know I do. I have just a billable rate. They can just book in half an hour out of my time or 60 minutes of my time on my website. And then um, I also do a lot of just, I try to do flat fee for most of the legal projects. So if someone comes to me and is like, hey, I do, I'm a custom make makeup artist. You know, I, I had some form that I got from a friend in beauty school, but I'm really ready to have my own thing. Or I've been having these problems with my clients. Can you help me? Then we scope out okay for me to do a custom contract it's probably going to be this much you're going to get this many rounds of revisions back and forth on google docs and this is a timeline and then they decide if they want me to do the job or not so Mm -hmm. i know that for most small business owners having some unknown legal meter in the background is like the scariest thing imaginable so i really try to offer another opportunity for people to get help to get someone who's got some industry savvy you know, swagger to get them where they want their business to go. Um, that's not behind some huge paywall. That's really frightening and and overwhelming to people.
1: Yeah. And honestly, um, that was something that I always worried about. Like if I reach out to this attorney to help me, then they start the stopwatch. And then however long it takes them, the time, the money, it all just keeps piling. I'm like, I don't, know. That's, that's out it's, of, that's that feels out of my control. Yeah. yeah. So, so just FYI, it is not like no reasonable
2: attorney, would ever like start that watch until you've signed uh, an engagement letter. So if okay. you haven't signed something yet, then you are not like there, there's not like a client attorney relationship and it's, it wouldn't be, it, yeah, it wouldn't be ethical for them to start charging at you. So just FYI, if you haven't signed it yet, if you're just talking to someone, it's it's probably still fine you're in that green zone but yeah attorney's vary and like what is their access to people um or how much or depending on what kind of yeah practice area they're in
1: so mm-hmm. okay awesome awesome good stuff okay let's talk um let's talk really quick about non competes because you know a lot of our oh. audience are so controversial i you know really but we've got a bunch that are like i'm a 1099 does this apply to me i'm a w2 how long does this apply to me you know all of that is and we hear some of these non-competes that are like outrageous like
0: 60 miles or something and crazy 36
1: like- months and all of this stuff and we no, tell them, guys, like, you, know, you need yeah, to get yeah. that checked out by an attorney <laughs> Yeah. you need to get that checked out from attorney both ways. So mm-hmm. I'll say this,
2: um, non-compete law is state specific. So the number one here is you need to know wherever you are located, you need to know to what your state law is about it. California, for example, does not allow non-competes like at all. So if you're in California, then you need to be very, very careful with having an agreement that goes overbroad for what that is. Now that's different in different States. And there are, the general trend is that they're being less and less favored because, Of the way people move around like businesses are started and people have a lot of industry mobility and we really as a public policy most courts now and judges are like that's pretty ridiculous that you're restricting someone's ability to earn a living with skills that they've earned especially when they've invested time and education of their own into getting something um so that's my first advice there is find out what your state law is about non-competes um the second is that even if whatever the state law says Non-compete agreements, they have to be reasonable, okay? They have to be reasonable in scope, in geography, and how much you're restricting someone's ability to do their thing that they do. Um, now, what does reasonable mean? Well, that's what attorneys can argue about <laughs> all the live long day, and they do in litigation. And so, um, but it usually means like what you talked about is that if you are, you know, super broad in terms of where someone lives and like you're saying, oh, they can't practice, they can't do their what their thing in, in, in the whole state, that's likely to be thrown out or something for like three years. Um, A lot of it will, the question would be like, well, what did their employer, did their employer pay for their education or skills or did they give them some special training that would make it reasonable as kind of part of their investment that this stuff wouldn't be taken with them and then used to compete against them. So, but especially if it's something like someone did all their schooling on their own, all their training, they come in, they work for someone, especially if they only work for a short enough time and then they leave, You know, even if they signed a non compete that's super long and and giant, they I I don't think the employer is going to be able to enforce that. So, and if they do, like in Utah, there's actually a law that's now been added that says if you as the employer try to go and enforce that and you lose you have to pay their attorney's fees because you were you were being the big bad boss owner and you Mm should have known better that that was too much you're trying to come after your worker who's just trying to earn a living you know shame on you
1: yeah okay that that brings up a really um a question that I actually wrote down while you were talking is what if the employer pays for the training because Mm -hmm. we hear about this a lot like estheticians will ask us about this a lot and they'll say you know, I, I have my aesthetics license that I paid for on my own, but I've been offered this position and they said they'll pay for my microblading training or they'll pay for my lash training, everything. And we always tell them, we're like, you need to ask an attorney about this because so there is unfortunately a lot of employee turnover within the spa industry. And Mm -hmm. so it's like, are you going to have to be signing a very long contract? What is the commitment level going to be? Because if you decide you don't like it there, but then they now own, I mean, do they own that skill set because they paid for it? How does that work?
2: Yeah. You'd have to look for the contract for that. Okay. So that's what I would say. would be very careful about if they've presented you with an agreement, um, with that, what it says, either your original agreement, or if there's a new one before you go to special Supreme Lash Diva training or whatever it mm-hmm. is, you know, of what that says in terms of how long is it a non-compete, and or non solicitation. Those are slightly different. And non compete is like, hey, you can't do what you do within a certain area or within, um, you know, or directly compete against the business. Non solicitation is about can you draw other people from the business, like, and usually that's more like their other employees or staff, but like, so if someone wants to set up a competing spa and they want to hire their friends at the other place, then that's where a non-solicitation would, you know, come into control. So, and again, it's, it's going to be tricky because it's going to be state specific and it's going to be about what that language is. But the words to look for are things like non, you know, competition, non-solicitation, exclusivity, um, you know, is another thing that sometimes you have people trying to like narrow down, Hey, you can only do this for so long. Um, But yeah, please, please don't sign that. I've I've helped friends, you know, who got last training and then, and paid for it on their own. And then it was like a 36 a month non-compete. And I'm like, "That's, that's ridiculous. Like, and I mean, shame on, shame on the industry for like perpetuating that. Cause I'm like, I don't care what kind of investment you did three years. You don't own three years of someone's ability to make money like you got to find a different way for you to attract your clients and you know um recoup your investment so um Mm -hmm. yeah and i and i know it's controversial and it's hard as a spa owner when you're like yeah but there's high turnover and how do i you know how do i manage all these risks that i have of people and how you want but um but yeah you also need to think of big picture of like people need to be able to make a living and use their skills um and uh you need to be reasonable there how
0: how long has this non-compete been going on because i don't see it going on for a long time I don't see it continue. I think something's going to happen. I don't think I see can... it
2: continue. I, I think yeah. the, the, the trend is going to be down where it basically gets whittled down to nothing. So, mm-hmm. because I think, um, and it has in some sectors, I mean, like in, in tech it's, it's gotten way less, you know, it used to be a lot more in tech, but now people move around. So they're like, no, I'm a developer. I'm going to code for you. And then I'm going to leave them in a code for someone else. Like, mm-hmm. and it's totally fine. So um, I hope we see that in beauty and that it, it goes away in terms of people feel more comfortable that there are other ways for them to build up their brand and their business. And they don't, you know, and they get kind of that abundance mindset. Like there there's a big pie out there. There's a lot of people who need help looking beautiful and looking their best. And we can all be successful here, um, by honing in on our strengths. You know, Mm -hmm. what is differentiating your brand? How are you serving people? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think the other thing is that, um, if you're a really great employer, then you don't have to worry about that high turnover. Like I signed a non-compete, my first job out of aesthetic school. I started working for a medical spa down in Houston. And then I, I mean, I don't know. I feel like it was reasonable. It was, um, you can't do the same laser services within a 20 mile radius for one year if you leave. And Houston's huge. And so I was like, okay, well that's fine. But honestly, I had zero intention of ever leaving because I loved it so much. My manager was amazing. The training was amazing. I mean, everything was just so great. Literally the only reason why I ended up leaving was to go back to school. And so I moved to a different state and then obviously the non-compete didn't matter at that point, but to me, I, I signed it. I'm like, that's fine. I'm never going anywhere because I love it here. You know? (laughs) Yeah. And that's, and
2: that's a really good point of like how, what can you do, especially if you are now more in a manager role and not like a technician role in your business to make sure that people are being valued, that they're being seen and heard and that they're getting opportunities for growth and staying with you. And if you're meeting that and listening to your people and, you know, being a good servant leader, then, um, people are going to stay. If, if it's a good gig and it could be fair for you and fair for them, but um, you're, you're not going to have as high rate of turnover for sure. Yeah, right.
1: absolutely. Okay. Um, let's talk about how a non-compete may or may not apply, whether you're an independent contractor or an actual hired on employee. So 1099 W2.
2: For sure, yeah. I would I would say that yeah. If you are an independent contractor, it is much less likely that a non-CP is going to stick and actually (laughs) be held to be valid because um, the law is saying like, look, this person didn't even hire you. I mean, by by the nature, like you know, there there's. I mean, I could spend a whole episode just on 1099s versus employees (laughs) because it is a complicated legal test, and accountants weigh in on this, and lawyers weigh in on this. It's like 16 part legal test from the IRS on this. Um, But basically, you know, it comes down to a lot of like. If someone, if you're an employee, they have, your employer has the right to, you know, control the the form and the manner in which you're doing your job, okay? That's them. They tell you, hey, I need you here at 9 a.m. You're going to sit here. You're going to use these supplies. This is what you're going to be doing. This is how you do your job. Great. That's an employee. Um, Independent contractors are supposed to be able to, they can do work, but it has to be on their terms. They're really, really supposed to use usually their own supplies. They're usually supposed to be able to do those services for other people. Now they don't have to, to still be independent contractors, but they, they have to have the right to, and that's, what's really important. And a non-compete pretty much goes exactly against that, that says, Hey, you know, you can come and go, but like, you only need to come and go here, (laughs) you know, that's kind of flying in the face of that, of, of giving people that ability to operate, um, in this sphere so i would say if you are an owner be very very careful and pretty much by that i mean probably don't rely on being able to use non-competes for your
1: 1099 so yeah okay um if you ever wanted to come back on and have that conversation about 1099 versus w we'd be really we happy love that because we get so many questions about that and of course you know we we are like this is the little bit that we know but go talk to you know an accountant yeah. or an attorney or whatever um but that is something that is so prominent in this industry and a lot of times these estheticians they'll graduate from aesthetic school they'll go get their first job and the employer will ask them something like do you want to be a w-2 or a 1099 a, right. a 1099- like
2: they're both like apples and oranges same thing it's yeah, like no it's these the are same. way different tracks that mm-hmm. you need to know what you're signing up for yeah and so, a lot of
1: times yeah. we've seen the the employer will say something like to make the 1099 look really attractive but then the esthetician doesn't understand that she's going to have to pay her own taxes. That yeah. She's not going to have the, ta- any write-offs. the tax man
2: is coming. Okay. Yeah. Guess
1: who, guess who doesn't care? Uncle Sam doesn't care. They're right. coming for you. So yeah. Right, exactly. So that is something that, oh my gosh, so many estheticians have been like, I think I'm in trouble because I did this and this, and now I have all these tax fees and we're like, yeah, you do have all these taxis now. I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's part of the deal. So I will say, I actually was looking up in preparation for this on
2: some um, some recent IRS revenue rulings that are that are just about like in the spa in the beauty industry about like if if something's uh someone's a 1099 employer. So in addition to kind of what I mentioned, the being able to kind of use your own supplies is usually a big factor. Um, how they're if they can set their own hours of working if people can set their own hours and they're booking their own appointments that's a lot more 1099 than employee versus like hey I'm gonna I'm gonna book out and you need to be there because you've got a 10 o'clock and you've got an 11 and like that starts to sound like an employee because you're Mm -hmm. telling people when they need to be there to work um if they uh, are, um, you, if they are like doing their own payment on their own, if they have their own like like Stripe, and that includes product or services, that's not to say that you can't if you can't still have ten ninety nines and have like a person up front helping with payment if that's just part of the, you know, service that you provide your booth renters. Um, but that's just one factor. Um, the other thing is. If they're paid like a percentage of gross receipts or if they paid her directly from the services that they're booking. So that becomes kind of a bigger question of like, how are they making their money? You know, and then are they making all of their own money as a 1099 and then they just owe you a, a fixed flat fee for rent every month. Um, that's probably fine. If it starts to be a percentage, it's maybe getting slightly closer. And then if you're collecting everything and you're paying them, that kind of starts to sound like more like an employee.
1: So mm-hmm. um
2: and, and again, yeah, having your own supplies um, and let's see, uh, pricing. Uh, who sets pricing? If if the boss is setting pricing, again, that's more sounds a little more employee ish. Um, if it's 10.99, then you are setting your own pricing. You're deciding what kind of the treatments are and what it looks like there. Um, and let's see, what was the other one on here? Um, yeah, no, no, sometimes the receptionist has been an important thing of like, again, who's the one doing like admin work and are they the ones booking and doing everything or not? So Mm. those are usually what it's kind of come down to. Um, but it's, it's a gray area, you know, and you can find accountants that I'm sure will back both sides up depending on who's paying and what they'll agree with. Um, but those are some general issues to think about in terms of, um, yeah do i want to do i want to be an employee do i want to be a 1099 and then how do you want to help your people um and know that honestly having employees is not as big a deal as you think like people make it to seem like i'm never going to be able to figure out but like guys we have gusto like we have online tools now like you can you can hire people they can be employees you can hire out like someone to do payroll and help with all the legalese in it um it's it's doable and then you know because if they're there and you're determining how they're doing their work that,
1: that person's an employee. You know, if it looks like a duck and it talks like a duck, it's probably a duck and it's an employee. Mm hmm. Okay. I love it. That's such great information. Ah, so awesome. Okay. So another thing that we want to talk about is social media and you work with creative entrepreneurs. They're putting, you know, their heart and soul into their cute graphics and these gorgeous <laughs> posts yep. and all this kind of stuff. And content then is
2: king. Yep. People yep, for sure
1: <laughs> steal it.
2: Yes, Let's talk which about that. is a huge bummer. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. So, um, so here's kind of macro thoughts here are that whoever creates the content is the one who owns it, unless you have something in writing otherwise. That's how copyright law works in the US, um, mm-hmm. which is good news. It means that if you snap a photo, You own that photo and means you can post it and do what you want with it, um, unless it's identifying someone else and you don't have your permission, which we already kind of talked about that. So that's the only caveat there. Um, So if you post something to your Instagram feed and someone likes it, um, that's awesome. If they want to share it in and use like an in-app feature, think of like the little paper airplane, you know, like in Instagram and share it to their story. That's also okay because you, by signing on to Instagram, you clicked on those license terms. I'm sure you read all of them, as we all do, right? Yeah, in the middle of the night when your app was updating. Um, But in there, it said, look, you got to give Instagram rights to do what it needs to to run its program. And part of that means like you give a limited license for people to be able to share your stuff in their stories to use Instagram. Um, So people can do that, and they can credit you or they cannot credit you. You're not really going to have any recourse there. What's not okay and what I still see a whole lot of is people screenshotting or using a repost app or some sort of third-party software and putting someone else's work in their feed, adding someone else's work on their website, you know, or then putting it into Twitter or TikTok or moving it off platform and something else and slicing and dicing and recycling it, um even if it really goes and it looks amazing in your grid, um, doesn't mean you get to use it. (laughs) Okay. Mm -hmm. So, and even if you give someone credit, like credit is nice and is like a bare minimum, but it still doesn't negate copyright infringement. The best practice is that if you want to use someone else's content, you get permission.
1: Yeah. That that's something that I was taught that if you want to use somebody's content, you need to send them a DM, ask them if it's okay. And then once they give you permission, you need to tag them in the image and also tag them into caption. Like be yeah. very, very clear that this is right. not your work, but you also already had permission to share it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that
2: is the best practice. And you're seeing larger brands now, like I saw, so this happened to someone the other day, they did a really funny post in front of target that was like, you know, celebrating quarantine freedom. And they, um, and they tagged target in there and then target came in their comments and was like, Hey, um if you if you if we can use this image type yes, and the and they put like their bitly link of like their full terms of like copyright policy there, and they said, you know, comment yes. um and the person did, in which case, like, that means now Target has the right to use that image and share it, you know, and they're advertising your media or whatever. So that's a way that now larger corporations and you could, you know, take a page out of this book. That's how they're handling this issue, because they know in their legal teams and told them, don't you dare take someone's picture and use it in your marketing unless you have permission to do it. So yeah.
0: even they respect that.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, they have to, especially big businesses like yeah, that or, but, yeah, I mean, and little businesses, we right. need to, you know, think about those things too. That's, yeah. Really and I mean, point. I see
2: a lot of people who are like, Oh, I just, I found it online. It's on Google image search. Like, yeah, not okay. That doesn't mean that is not the public domain. That word does not say, it <laughs> does not mean what mm-hmm. you think it means, you know, channel your Inigo Montoya here, um, from princess bride. Like <laughs> that's not, that is not the public domain. Public <laughs> domain means something that was published before 1925. Okay. So if you want anything from there knock yourself out go get your pride and prejudice go wild but you are not allowed to use you know a picture from something else just because you found it just because the clip art looks cool or whatnot so um just yeah be be have good content practices there in terms of what can you use of other people in terms of ideas um ideas are very hard to protect and so like if you have a business idea or a business model and you're like someone copied me that is unfortunately gonna happen. Those are not things, ideas really can't be protected in our brain. Now the application of those in something can't be protected. So like copyright would protect like a handout or protect an ebook or an online course um, or a workbook or something. So if you come up with the new LASH technique and you, it's all an online course and you have a workbook, those are things that we could protect through copyright law. And then people wouldn't be able to then steal those scratch out your copyright, add theirs, and then publish it. You know, they could get in trouble for that. So there are things you can do there. Um, trademark is a tool that protects more of your brand elements. So that's protecting your name, your logo, your slogan. Um, it can e- even be other things like your, like a product line or best-selling product or an online, you know, product. Any of those can be protected by trademark law.
1: Okay. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. So at what point would you recommend a business to, like a an esthetician business to trademark their business name for example Mm -hmm. um is that something that they should do if they're planning to just stay in their like solo salon suites they're not planning to expand at all do they need to worry about that or if is that more if they're wanting to really grow
2: yeah that's a great question so if they're planning on just staying as a local kind of in-service business you know even having um You know, multiple locations, they may not need a federal trademark. There are such things as state trademarks, um, and they're significantly cheaper. Um, Mm -hmm. However, um, and you can also, but usually by doing your LLC filing, the state won't allow you to have the name of an exact other business. And so that gives you some at least knowledge. Okay. In California, there's no one else with this exact name. Now it's usually exact. So someone could be really, really close or even spellings or like have plurality and they could still allow it. So with that, my, my advice is to always do a really good thorough Google search and like a LLC trademark search when you do your name, because if you're in category B of like, you have some other ambitions, if you want to expand beyond your state, if you want to have an online, if you want to have your own product, if you want to have your own training Or any of these other things, events, any of these other ideas in your head, um, then I, and you want that to be under a brand, then that brand name should be trademarkable. And with that, you should probably get someone to help you do a really good trademark search so that you can start building around that and know that that real estate is going to be protected. Um, and it's something that you can kind of etch out in the line in the sand. The problem that I see with a lot of people is they, um, they don't know that. And so they pick a name that's fine, you know, pumpernickel and lavender and <laughs> they go forward with it. Um, and it's not a problem until it is until now they've reached enough, you know, market share and they've gotten enough notoriety that then it comes up in some Google search alert for some other company um, who's doing trademark monitoring and they get a cease and desist that says, hey, we're gonna need to know your sales for the past year. Um, We're gonna need you to quit using your name in the next 30 days. Um, We might be suing you for damages. Like, And people, then I get emails and people who are in tears who are like, is this legit? And I'm like, I'm sorry, yeah, you didn't do, you didn't know about your name and you just went where it. and And I love the energy, but that's the one spot where you can get really burned and doing forward energy without doing some searching and kind of forward looking planning.
1: Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Yes. Okay. So, and just going to the, um, it's we'll, we'll link it in the description, but USPTO website, um, and just doing a trademark search, just search for the name. Like that's something, even when we, we name our courses, we Mm -hmm. check under trademark first. I mean, anything you got to check first. You Even if check you're not, do a really on-
2: thorough Google search and check check there. I will say on trademarks, it's it's tricky because it's an, it's, it's an exact nap match database. So if you search for like Starbucks with a bunch of S's afterwards, it'll say like zero search results. But like obviously, do not start a coffee company named Starbucks. Like that's a bad idea. So you do want to check alternate spellings. You want to like rearrange the words. So I would search for spa strong. I'd also want to search for you know uh, strong spa. Um, <gasps> I'd want to check for different spellings, you know, mm-hmm. um, because people can be really creative in their spelling. Um, yeah. And so the, and because the law says it doesn't have to be an exact match for you to have a problem. Okay. The law says if it's confusing to a consumer, it's too close. And you'd be surprised what the USPTO thinks is confusing to a consumer. It's can be quite a lot. Yeah. Different.
1: Okay. Awesome information. Um, okay. So if, let me just ask this really, really quickly. If somebody is reposting your stuff on social media and you didn't give them permission, or if they're obviously copying something that you created, right. Can you send them a message and ask them to take it down because you're the owner or is that something that you're just kind of like, you know, you can, you know, okay. you, you
2: totally can. So, and I always, um, I say, I actually have a podcast episode that's all about what to do when people rip you off because this happens so often. And I get so many DMS of like, what am I supposed to do? And it walks you through kind of my recommended timeline of things. And so I would do the first thing to do is to um, like, take a deep breath, like calm down because it's, it's easy for us to feel very personally attacked for this to be like, like total sucker punch or whatnot. Um, The next thing is to document it, whatever it is. So go and like screenshot it on their website, on their Instagram. If they took one thing, they might've taken more things. And so you want to have some evidence regardless of what happens just to have for your records. Um, And then the next step is to really, you want to think about what do you want? Do you want money? Do you want uh, a relationship? You're like, that's fine if they use this thing, but they just need to pay me for my part in it. Um, do you want them to take it down? Do you want an apology? Um, you know, and those might be different ways of trying to fixing the problem depending on what you want, but you need to do some soul searching and, and be like, what do I really want? How do I want this to end up? Best case scenario. Um, and then I would reach out privately and do like, Hey, I don't know if you knew, <laughs> but that's my stuff, you know, try to give people the benefit of the doubt. Our times are there, are there douchebags online? Totally. And, and sometimes that won't be answered and people will stonewall you, but, um sometimes people are just like we said they're just clueless and they don't know um that this is not okay and this mm-hmm. is an opportunity to educate and to fix it without a lot of drama and fanfare and whatnot um if that doesn't work if they don't get back to you or if they're like screw you or whatever um then it may be time to reach out for an attorney for help so and then you could do things like um you could send a cease and desist you could do a DMCA takedown which is basically it's a procedure that platforms larger platforms have that says hey if there's user content that's infringing on your rights, let us know and we'll look into it. Um, now, those are taken more seriously if you have actual copyright or trademark certificates to back up your stuff. I will say that, like okay. within a matter of hours versus like weeks sometimes. So, but there is a protocol on most major websites for you to report things and for you to go through those steps, try to get stuff taken down. So um, if that doesn't work, then usually getting an attorney and then, um, you know, threaten to sue for copyright infringement or trademark infringement are kind of your last step. So, and again, those are also taken more seriously and have more, you know, a real stick behind you. If you've taken steps to register and protect your stuff, if you don't through copyright, and they know a little bit about copyright law, they might say like, come and get me. I don't think you've registered your thing yet, your artwork. And this is what happens to a lot of my artistic clients is that they totally got ripped off by a bigger company. And the bigger company knows that they probably didn't register their artwork and, and it's not going to be worth it. No, no, uh, attorney's going to take the case because they can't get attorney's fees. They can't get, you know, statutory damages. Like it's not going to be worth, you know, the $800 they get back is not worth the $5,000 lawsuit. So.
1: mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there
2: there is a law that's trying to be passed to um, that's a that's like kind of like a small claims. It's called the Case Act for copyright law. So um, and I hope it happens because it would give people, especially online businesses and content creators, more avenues to try to get um, to try to get this stuff taken care of more quickly and in more in more efficient. So and it would kind of equalize the playing ground because right now basically the people who have money um, are are winning most of these arguments, which isn't fair, you know, because the larger stores in the world are just kind of taking advantage of smaller creators. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, Brittany, this episode has been so amazing. Thank you so much for sharing all of your insight. Like this is such great stuff. I've been taking notes like crazy this whole time. Um, But we always like to ask our guests at the end of the episode, what boundaries balance health and safety means to them. Would you mind just going over that briefly.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, I think for me, it's about, uh, like a little bit, like I said at the beginning, it's just about clarifying relationships. I think that when we've set out, you know, who we are to ourselves and we've decided to you know what we want to be out and we have that kind of personal integrity and we're able to reflect that in all areas of our lives, then it allows us to, to work and to show up in our work life, in our family life, the people that we want to be. And there's just real congruity of who we are and we're not we're not putting on masks in different areas of our life and I think that kind of brings so much inner balance and peace and I think it allows you to connect with people and really offer them you know a fantastic business that solves problems and makes you a healthy return too. you know I don't think those are mutually exclusive in terms of um when you when you do the work and you show up right and you let people see that part of you of who you are um that I think you're you're going to be a winner and you're going to be yeah fulfilled in all the areas of your life that are most important to you
1: Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much, Brittany. Where can uh, people find more from you? Yeah. So
2: I'm on, um, I love being on Instagram because that's where all my beautiful creators and their businesses are. So you can find me just at Brittany Rattel on there. Um, And then my, my main website's BrittanyRattel.com. And then, as I mentioned, um, I also sell some like contract templates for kind of, people are getting to online courses or speaking, or like if you need your website policies, um, a lot of those I sell and that, that website's creativecontracts.co. So it's just like a online, it's kind of like a legal Zoom, but more specific and giving you some more guidance. Like I have a free quiz on there that you answer the questions and it tells you what you need for your business. And so it really dials down exactly what you need for maybe your growing um, creative or creative lifestyle brand.
1: Awesome. awesome. This is fantastic, Brittany. Thank you so thank much. You. We truly appreciate you being here. Um, we know that this, this episode is going to have so much value for our listeners. They all,
2: You're welcome, they guys. It's such, a, it's such a pleasure to be on and to talk shop. And I just love what you guys are doing for, for beautypreneurs all over. Thank, thank
1: you, you so much.